We have two readings today. First is from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 16. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. And then Mark 10, verse 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks, Sarah. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open and please join me in prayer. Father, thank you that your word is true and trustworthy and accurate and authoritative. We pray that as we gather around your word today and consider what it means to serve you and one another as members of your family, you will speak to us and cause our hearts and minds to be ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure many of you would have watched some of the Olympics or the Paralympic Games we did in our household recently. One of the things I find interesting about the Games and other major sporting events is that it seems many of us aren't content to just focus on amazing sporting performances or just to be inspired by the stories of the athletes, many of whom have sacrificed much to represent their country. Instead, commentators and fans often circle back to discussing not just sporting greatness, but who is the greatest. I wonder if you've seen or heard the acronym GOAT used in sporting contexts. G-O-A-T. Can anyone tell me what that stands for? Thank you. Greatest of all time. Yes, Michael Phelps, Muhammad Ali, Emma McKeon, Usain Bolt, Simone Biles, Katie Ledecky, Jessica Fox, Roger Federer, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, depending on which basketball fan you're talking to. These athletes have all been heralded as the greatest of all time within their sport. But of course, the world's understanding of greatness is fickle and its perception of the meaning of all time is very limited. In today's passage from Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul focuses our attention on Jesus, our sinless saviour, 
the Son of God, the one who is far more worthy of our admiration and worship and whose example we should seek to follow, far more than any athlete or celebrity, the one who truly deserves the title, the greatest of all time. And yet in one of the most incredible passages about Jesus in the New Testament, laying out clearly who he is and what he's done for us, the primary picture we have here is not of Jesus' impressiveness as a conquering king, though he is that, but of Jesus as a humble, willing, sacrificial servant who, because of his great love for us, died on a Roman cross to save sinners like you and me. But before he points to Jesus' ultimate example of sacrificial, love-motivated service, Paul reminds the Philippians of some of the hallmarks of true Christian community. Paul has a real soft spot for the Christians living in this Roman colony of Philippi. The Philippian church was the first church that Paul had planted in Europe. He'd always kept in touch with them, and they'd actively supported him in his ministry. So his writing to them is not mainly for correction and rebuke, but to build them up and urge them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, encouraging them in their mission to make much of Jesus in the face of opposition. Philippi was a prosperous Greek city that had come under Roman rule. So the Philippian believers knew what it was like to be living in a particular place, but to be ruled and governed from elsewhere. In chapter 3, Paul reminds them that their citizenship is in heaven. Their primary identity is not as Greeks living under Roman rule, but as members of a heavenly colony, God's people in Philippi, with ultimate allegiance not to Caesar, but to King Jesus. This means living differently as God carries on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, the good work he's already begun in them, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1. And that's what discipleship is, isn't it? That's what our sermon series in Term 3 has been all about. It's about learning to live on earth as citizens of heaven, people who are saved by grace, devoted to Jesus, grounded in scripture, belonging to church, generous in giving, dependent in prayer, bold in mission, overflowing with praise and loving in service. At its core, the call to discipleship is simply a call to follow Jesus, modelling our lives on his, living as his people in his world under his ultimate and perfect rule. And a key component to life in Christian community, a key indicator that we are being made more like Christ a key source of joy and unity that comes from living as his people, the church, is loving God and one another in humble service. As Paul begins to lay the foundation for service among God's people, he starts by by urging the Philippians to be like-minded, have the same love, and be one in spirit. That sounds good, doesn't it? But what does it actually look like? How do we as God's people practically seek to live in such a closely connected Christian community. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Imagine a community in which that is the modus operandi. Everyone looking after one another instead of each person just looking out for number one. In some ways, our Western culture has become so individualistic that consistently looking to the interests of others 
Acting in humility and putting others first probably seems like a foreign concept to many. For those of us within the church, it's probably fair to say that while for some of us this is our strong point and it just comes naturally, for many of us we may find it hard to put into practice. But Paul is saying humility is foundational to living in true Christian community. It follows from being united with Christ and sharing in the spirit, so it's countercultural. It's motivated by something that the world can't manufacture or sustain. You've probably heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. And in a worldly sense, we know that's not true. But when it comes to Christian communities characterised by love and care for one another, with each member acting humbly and in the best interests of others, there is a real sense in which these kinds of relationships centred on Christ and focused on others instead of self do become part of our witness to the wider community. One of the compelling characteristics of our city on a hill or our flavour is the salt of the earth, as Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 5. This sort of humble community of people loving and serving God and others because of Jesus' great love for us speaks volumes to those outside of God's family. Of course, this is not for our own glory, but so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. Paul is saying clearly, don't strive for personal gain, trying to advance your position over other people, or act with hollow self-importance as if you are more important than other people. Both of these things are linked to the sin of pride. As I was thinking about pride recently, I was mindful of the fact that pride is a particularly sneaky sin when you think about it, because it often creeps in where you're not expecting it. I suppose you could say that pride is the sin that we think we're too good to commit. And it could show up even in good places where we have really good intentions. We can be attending church regularly, donating our time, money and resources to help others, serving the body of Christ, resisting the temptation to engage in various other sins. And yet pride can grow in us as we begin to feel like we're ticking, successfully ticking boxes. I don't know about you, but I feel like there have been times when I've been seeking to serve, but only on my terms, only in a way that suits me and what I think I will enjoy or what I think I'm good at. It's really good to, to want to serve using the gifts God has given us. But I've noticed there can be a temptation not to ask what needs to be done and what can I do to help and bless others, but can I serve in this way because I think that's where I'll be most fulfilled or because that job is more fun or more impressive? This attitude makes service about me and elevates my interests rather than placing the needs of others above my own. And it can create an environment where selfishness and pride creep in rather than acting in humility. We seem to forget that as sin-stained creatures in a fallen world, even as ransomed sinners saved by God from the punishment our sin deserves, there is no reason for us to be prideful before God who is holy. One commentator puts it this way. Everything in our Christian lives is designed to produce a greater humility in us. The word of God sanctifies us, promoting humility as a mindset. The cross tells us that all we bring to our salvation is our sin. Prayer puts us on our knees with empty hands. Worship causes us to look up to God, which puts us in our proper place. Our trials humble us, reminding us of our human frailty. And yet, despite all this, 
our hearts still struggle not to feel proud. In Mark chapter 10, we see this pride and selfishness and self-importance on display in two of Jesus' disciples, James and John. You think they would have known better. I mean, they were literally with Jesus, learning from him firsthand, and yet they weren't immune to pride either. Instead, not long before Jesus entered Jerusalem, James and John asked Jesus to say yes to letting one of them sit at his right hand and the other at his left in his glory. Can you imagine? They seem to be saying, we know we're not quite at your level, Jesus, but we're pretty close. So can we be at your right and your left when you reign in glory? And Jesus responds by asking a pointed question. Can they follow him in his sufferings, even all the way to death? And they say yes. Whether their pride was in their status as his friends or in their confidence to be able to endure similar sufferings to Jesus, or both, it's shown for what it is when Jesus corrects their thinking in verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. The power and authority that James and John were seeking shouldn't have been their goal. Unbelievers chase after power and authority. Instead, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. What these disciples seem to be missing was that since God looks at the heart rather than the outward appearance or status or power or charisma, and he's given us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself, as the two greatest commandments. It's those who lay down their lives in humble, loving service to God and others who are reflecting God's heart. Jesus continues, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's economy of greatness flips the world's version of greatness on its head. Since Jesus himself, the perfect one, the greatest of all time, didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, how much more should we be willing to serve him, the one who has ransomed us, bringing us from sin and death to peace with God and life forever with him, and to serve the members of his family whom he has placed alongside us, including our brothers and sisters here at Trinity Church, Mount Barker. When we truly bow our knee to Christ as Lord, we cannot at the same time walk around trampling and ignoring the needs of others while seeking to serve ourselves. We are to live differently to the selfish ambition and the hollow self-importance that the world promotes and that the devil would love to tempt us with. Instead, we're to value others more than ourselves, looking to their interests, not just our own. Notice what Paul doesn't say in Philippians 2. He doesn't say your needs or interests aren't real or important or significant. Each of us has real needs. Food, clothing, shelter, fellowship, friendship and love from others, support, encouragement, prayer, hospitality and the list goes on. These needs are important but they're not all designed to be met on our own. Instead, many are to be met in community. If our main concern is having our own needs met by ourselves in our own strength all the time, it's no wonder we end up acting out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit or both. This is a heavy burden, one that we're not supposed to bear alone. Nor are we to beat ourselves up when we just can't seem to get it all together on our own. C.S. Lewis pointed out that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not about self-loathing, it's about selflessly loving others. If our thoughts are preoccupied with ourselves, there's little room for thinking of and caring for others. But if our thoughts and actions are focused on putting others first, and their thoughts and actions are focused on putting others first, then we have a community in which humility on the part of each individual serves to knit people together in love as they rely on one another. This relying on one another might mean making room in your home for others. It might mean offering to catch up with someone regularly to pray and read the Bible and care for each other amidst the busyness of life. It might be getting involved in serving at church if you aren't already doing so. It might mean asking how you can help with your time or prayer support or resources when you hear of someone doing it tough. And if you're a serial server, someone who's always in the thick of it serving others, it might mean being willing to be served by others too. The world around us is saturated with self-centeredness, tempting us to focus on advancing our own position and securing a nicer future so we can retire comfortably without a care in the world. And yet Jesus humbly calls us to come to him, to have our own interests take a back seat in service to others and to allow God to work in us to make us more like him as he shapes us into a community of believers that reflects his heart for others through loving service bringing our thoughts and actions in line with the heartbeat of our true home as citizens of heaven. I'm sure many of you can think of people, even people here in our church family at TCMB, who you admire because of their great example, not of bravado and strength, but of humility and service. Recently, a colleague of mine who had a strong faith passed away after a relatively short battle with a very aggressive form of cancer. This person had a job that maybe not many would put up their hand to do. He helped clean and maintain the grounds at the school that I worked at, but in particular doing jobs like sweeping the many pathways and outdoor areas on hot summer days and sorting through rubbish and recycling from the large industrial bins. And yet he always did it with a smile and a positivity and a joy. He was dedicated to serving. And can I tell you what may sound like mundane work made a real difference because of his heart attitude. He didn't go about it begrudgingly. He did it willingly and faithfully, day in, day out. And it was simply amazing to hear from staff and students about the impact he had, even in his behind-the-scenes role, because of the way he loved to serve and he loved in service to others. There are many examples of people who serve in amazing ways, but the greatest example of loving service the world has ever seen in the person and work of Jesus far outweighs any earthly comparison. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. This is the supreme example for us to follow as disciples of Jesus. Our sinless saviour's mindset, which we are to share, wasn't focused on using what he had, which was immeasurably precious to his own advantage. While he never stopped being God, he made himself nothing by human standards, becoming a human servant who laid down his life and paid the ultimate price in the most horrific of ways, even death on a cross, it says, for you and for me. His service was humble. He didn't use what he had to his own advantage, but took the very nature of a servant. It was willing. He made himself nothing. It was sacrificial and costly. He stepped down into the world he created, being found in appearance as a man, and ultimately becoming obedient to death, to carry out God's salvation plan, to rescue his people from sin and death. In Mark, it's described as a ransom. Ransoms are costly, but Jesus ransomed us in love. And it's enduring. His death and resurrection occurred once for all time and now intercedes for us before the Father, as Paul says in Romans 8. In Jesus, the greatest of all time, we have the perfect example of humble service motivated by love, the greatest love of all time. You and I will never serve perfectly because on this side of eternity, we're not yet perfect. But we serve a perfect saviour. And God will complete the good work he has begun in us perfectly. When Chantelle and I pull our five-year-old son Asher up on a problem with his behaviour, he often responds, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect except God. And he's right. And yet we are called to have the same mindset as Jesus, as God continues the good work he has begun in those of us who believe. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years or you're not yet sure about who Jesus really is and what the Christian life is all about, please don't miss the significance of these verses, which point us to Jesus who loves us so much that he paid the ultimate price to purchase us for God. Ephesians 2.4 tells us it was because of his great love for us that God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And here we see that it was because of Jesus' willingness to humbly serve, spending his life to save ours, and rising again to conquer death, that as we repent of our sins and turn to Christ, you and I can have peace with God and also true peace with one another as we share in his spirit. I spoke earlier about the idea of greatness. And here we see clearly what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. It's not about might or strength, but about humility and service. We also see again the ultimate goal of Christian love and service, which is to bring God glory. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Yes, God's love for us is very great, and that is a wonderful, comforting, 
compelling truth. And yet, God's plan for this world is not ultimately all about us. When all is said and done and we are praising Jesus and bowing before him in worship for eternity, it will be to the glory of the Father. You might be thinking, yeah, I get it. We're supposed to serve. And I want to acknowledge that many of us are serving regularly in the life of our church, humbly, willingly, sacrificially, and in an ongoing way. You might be thinking, you know what? I'm doing everything I can. I'm already stretched thin. I've got nothing more to offer. I'm on this roster. I support that group. I catch up with this person regularly. I'd love to help more, but I'm just at capacity and I can't do any more. If that's you, please don't feel you're being asked to bear an unbearable burden. The church is a body and we are to share the load. Can I encourage you in your service that it doesn't go unseen by God? And that our prayer for you is that as you serve, you will experience the encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, sharing in the spirit, and that you'll be able to run the race with joy. If you're feeling burned out or you think you might be heading in that direction, please talk to your ministry team leader. We're a church who wants to be proactive about training up others to share the load wherever there is a need. Others of you might be thinking, but I'm new, I'm still settling in. I don't really know how things work around here yet or I don't know enough people or I'm not sure how to get involved. Can I say that if you've recently made TCMB your church home, we'd love to get to know you better and find out how we can equip and empower you to serve using the gifts God has given you. Please chat to Scott next week about attending the next Newcomers Lunch or chat to one of the leadership team or the people wearing their lanyards here today about how you can become more involved in the life of our church. Perhaps you're thinking, I'm too young. I don't have much to offer. Or perhaps you're at the other end of the spectrum and you're thinking, I'm too mature in years. <laughs> Again, if that's you, can I encourage you that the body of Christ has many different parts? Don't let people, including yourself, look down on you because you are young or not so young. I'm often reminded that Jesus is building his church. As his people, it's our job to get involved, to understand what it means to serve within the body of Christ, but also not to be held back by a fear of mucking it up. You don't need to have been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 plus years to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And you don't need to be in your physical prime to be of value to the body. If this is you and you're not sure how you can best serve and you'd like to know more, please talk to someone who's already serving here at TCMB or drop a note in the everything box at the back of the room to let us know you'd like to get involved. Can I say if the main takeaway from this message is serve more, sign up for more rosters, get more involved, then we're missing the key point. It's not just about you doing more. The gospel is never about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And our right response is to love God and love people as he does. Service can become merely filling a position, playing a role, doing a job. 
But when it's done in love and with the strength that God supplies by his spirit, that's when it's transformative and Christ-like and brings true joy to the church. Paul tells the Philippians to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act, to think and do in ways that fulfil his good purpose. When we understand it's not us who provides the fuel for our service and when we learn to rely on and rest in God who provides the love and strength that we need to serve, grumbling and arguing should disappear and the light God has placed in us will shine like stars against the darkness of the world around us. This is what true Christian service motivated by love does. It's a beacon of God's blessing on earth. It is a source of joy for the church. Paul even says it will make his joy complete if the Philippians love and serve together with unity in this way. And significantly, it's a signpost pointing people to the true God who first loved and served us. As disciples of Jesus, we love and serve God and others because Jesus first loved and served us, ransoming us from death to life, to the glory of God. There was a praise and worship song written back in 2006 called Hosanna, and part of it has always stuck with me. It seems this is a fitting prayer to have as a church that is seeking to love and serve God together. The bridge of that song says, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. The source and sustaining power of our love and service to God and one another is not in our own effort or strength. As we draw near to Jesus, the greatest of all time, as we meditate on his word, and ask him to open our eyes and show us how to love as he has loved us, with everything we are for his kingdom's cause. May God make each of us more and more like Jesus. And may he make us a group of people who are saved by grace, devoted to Jesus, grounded in scripture, belonging to church, generous in giving, dependent in prayer, bold in mission, overflowing with praise, and loving in service strengthened and sustained by him and his great love for us. Thanks, Craig. A timely message for us all, I think, today.